This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Music collaborations. Maybe it'll help her get out of her funk. What? You said you... You put me in the funk. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm just going to be blamed now. Oh, Kat, if I wanted a woman to blame me for all her troubles... Wow. I'd be visiting with my my wife and daughters. (laughs) I'm trying to escape them. All right, that's horrible. I don't mean any... I don't mean a single word to to 1980s now, also known as Will's Therapy. I don't mean any of that with regards to Kat or anybody, but... Okay. Hey. Oh. Hey, welcome back to another. Are, are you welcome back? I don't know, but you have another episode. I don't feel very welcome. Right? Nobody does. We are back. Are we welcome? Technically, we are back. Hey, this is a show. We're, we're back. back. It's called 1980s Now. You probably have a podcast already if you're listening to this. Let's face it. Is yours better? Then go listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, you need to start a podcast, is what it comes down to. Oh, dear. What could my podcast be show? about? I'm not going to say a damn thing because no matter what I say, somehow I'm going to have caused some kind of emotional collapse in your household. Will not be responsible for that. The more specific, the better. There's like a Kung Fu Duran Duran kind of theme you could go with. Ooh. Ninjutsu. Ninjutsu and Duran Duran. Ninjutsu. Mm. Well, again, again, I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, John. John, John <laughs> took the bullet I for feel me. it. I know what you mean, Took Mel. the bullet. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name's Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hello. Hey, guys. John's with us, of course, in addition to hosting his own podcast, Gen X Grown Up. Check out that show Woo-hoo. as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be reviewing some of the more interesting music collaborations of the 1980s, uh, as chosen by us, pretty much. But we did get your feedback uh, on Facebook, and we're going to include that as we uh, review those songs as well. Uh, and some of you, you know, didn't like the, <laughs> some of you disagreed with our choices because I know what song <laughs> that we were going to talk about. They're like, don't talk about this one. It's terrible. <laughs> Whatever you do, we're going to do it. <laughs> you can't please anybody. We're talk about some terrible ones too. I mean, they're, they're not all good, but they're all. Notable. All right. Notable. I'm, I'm glad you say that because, you know, actually, I don't know how either of you feel about any of these songs, really, for the most part. So, and mm. I certainly have my thoughts about it. It's part of the mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, uh, a quick uh, update. Hey, join us Tuesday, this Tuesday. Hopefully it hasn't passed yet on May 31st at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live for 1980s Trivia. We're going to be awarding a $50 e-gift card to the person who knows the most about 1980s pop culture, you know, music, movies, it's a little bit of history. It's not a whole lot mm. of history kind of stuff, but cha-ching. Yeah. There's some <laughs> stuff questions, you know, video games, uh, toys, other products, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real simple to play. You just put, you just pick a multiple choice uh, answer, one, two, three, or four, put it in the Facebook comments and boom, computer figures out who wins and that's it. Boom. We send you a thing in the boom. 24 hours, you got money. You make it sound so easy. Why yeah. wouldn't yeah. you participate? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get caught up on night. Hey, this week on 1980s News, via Sci-Fi Wire, we have our first look at Ernie Hudson and the Quantum Leap reboot. You know, this mm-hmm. looking at the news stories for this week, it made me realize that, and there's a number of things we're not, we're not talking about this week that I can't wait to talk about. We feel like we just need to do a whole show of news and get caught mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. 
But I realized that for Kat and I, there's an opportunity really to learn more and more about John because some of these things we've touched on in the past, <laughs> John's looking for an exit. <laughs> we've touched on some of these things in the past, but not necessarily know how John feels about different things, TV shows, movies, uh, music, you know, groups, right. that sort of thing. Like when he wasn't really into Cobra Kai, I was like, what? Right. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then was I, I was experience. and then it faded. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. <gasps> Learning experience. Did it remind mm. you, Kat, how I've oftentimes made a comment that when we asked you to join the show, we probably should have had like some sort of interview process. Probably. You probably mm -hmm. should have. <laughs> but maybe the questions for John should have included like, Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like when you get your uh, you get your passport. They do the interview and see yeah. if you actually you know. Well, tell me, what? How do you feel about Stranger Things? Yeah, or nay? And it's like questions. And I'm sorry, you're not qualified to be on the show. Yeah. And I don't really know how he feels about Duran Duran. I'm not sure I want to know either. Hmm. It's okay. We can keep it. A Let's secret. save that for another show. I think there's a, there's enough tension already in this one. We'll, we'll okay. save it for your Ninjutsu podcast, Ninjutsu Duran Duran podcast. And we look forward to the first episode. I'll invite John as a guest. Yeah. Right. Episode one, Kung Fu fighting. Uh, so Ernie Hudson is moving out of the spiritual extermination business and into the booming time travel industry. You know, John and I were just talking about how much we love time travel. And a quantum leap is another yep. time travel, you know, work of fiction that uh, certainly I enjoyed uh, during the late eighties and nineties. Uh, uh, John, were you a fan of quantum leap? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Bakula was was great, mm -hmm. uh, and then he, he spun off in the Star Trek, incidentally, as uh, Captain Archer. But right. uh, yeah, it, it was a weird kind of time travel. Like it was and wasn't his right. his mind was time traveling. Kind of it was it was an intriguing. It was a different take on time travel, which I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And what a what an obnoxious cliffhanger they left us with when that mm. show got canceled. That they need to address <laughs> in right. this new series with Ernie. Right, I yes. haven't gotten to the cliffhanger. I have a, oh, a lot to yeah. go. Oh, oh. <laughs> we didn't talk about all the, the so pain you have go. saved yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although now I think about it, Kat, I think we talked about it and I think I cut that whole segment out then. And I, cause it was, Probably, I went I on you did. for like 45 minutes. Seriously, John, we did one story yes. about quantum leap and I talked about it for about 45 minutes, <laughs> including the bizarre uh, ending of it, how they cut it short. Mm -hmm. And on the title card at the end, because the, 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 you know, the producers got involved, the, the network got involved. They said something about summing up Sam Beckett's life. They spelled his name wrong. So they hadn't even ah. read a script, I think. So anyway, but look, the new version is, is coming this fall with the Ernie Hudson in tow. Uh, of course, we know him as uh, Winston Zeddemore that he put him on. That put him in, in everybody's, uh, you know, TV mm -hmm. screens and film screens, et cetera. And everybody's uh, on everybody's mind and tongues and... <laughs> No, it's, <laughs> he has established that if there's a steady paycheck in it, he'll believe anything. So yes, you know, there you go. So believe in time travel. I'm excited that he's in mm -hmm. it. I said something about Ernie Hudson and tongues and, and cat blushed, which reminds me last week, <laughs> something came up about Ernie Hudson. She said, I need Ernie Hudson to be in this. And then she was like, that's right. She did. I like him. I did. He's, I like him. I was like, oh, she just totally like hit reverse on that. <laughs> Glad you picked up on that. <laughs> With regard to the new show, uh, Hudson said, I think this show like Ghostbusters crosses generations. Mm. End quote. For, for Quantum Leap, he's going to be, be uh, playing a character named Herbert Magic Williams, who's a Vietnam War vet and a longtime member of the titular experiment, which automatically raises a question for me. Uh, okay. If he's been a longtime member of it, mm -hmm. is this not really a sequel? Because we, I don't think we've ever heard of Herbert Magic Williams till now. Certainly Ernie Hudson hasn't been on the original show. We didn't get to see that much of the back end. Once we got into the show, Sam was just leaping from from mm -hmm. period to period. Mm -hmm. And he saw Ziggy in holographic form. What we saw of the uh, the project back home 
and we don't know if that was the only branch of the project. There could have been other Sams mm. doing their own thing, and okay. you know, we don't know mm-hmm. about. There could be a larger, larger mythology. I hope it is a sequel, and it carries yeah. on. Because otherwise, how would you take care of the old cliffhanger? Yeah. yeah. So you're saying, so is this a reboot or a sequel? Originally, they were t- they were describing it as a sequel, set about the amount mm-hmm. of time now since the mm-hmm. last one ended. Yeah. Um, but as and you're questioning of, whether it is because yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally they were also talking mm-hmm. to Scott Bakula, if you recall, and Dean Stockwell about coming back to this. Bakula mm-hmm. expressed an interest. Dean Stockwell, of course, unfortunately mm-hmm. passed away, which right. leaves whether or not he'll be uh, involved right. a question or not. Although, to right. John's point, that thing, that the last series ended with him still out there somewhere mm-hmm. um, right. from our perspective, though I think, uh, and it changed Dean Stockwell's character's future, what happened mm-hmm. in that final episode. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So yeah, they could find a leap back to try to save his marriage or something at the end that he talked to somebody that may or may not be God. It's been a long time. Right. Wow. You do remember a lot of it though. I only remember that because I watched it like three months ago. That might be the extent of my memory of it, but yes, I knew there were some beats in there that were (laughs) frustrating. Such a bizarre episode uh, Mm -hmm. where, yeah, he does go to a place that we're not really sure where it was. It seems like the character he was talking Mm -hmm. to was God. And as a result Mm -hmm. of Sam's actions, he winds up saving uh, Dean Stockwell's characters was it Al, his marriage. And so Al winds up having a happy marriage in the future. Now we've got a different character, a lead physicist, Dr. Ben Song, who's played by Raymond Lee. Mm-hmm. He goes missing mm-hmm. in the time-space continuum. And, and uh, mm. so now you've got uh, folks looking to track down uh, this missing guy. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, though, along those lines about whether, whether, whether this, you know, whether how this is connected, the first episode finds Ben jumping back to San Francisco circa 1989, which is the same year Quantum Leap mm-hmm. first premiered. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know John well, I had like talked John's about. Theory. Maybe we could, maybe yeah. we could do some back to the future two kind of in the scenes we already know with the new mm-hmm. characters. Oh, that would be mm-hmm. some cool stuff. Love mm-hmm. that. About, yeah. Mm-hmm. Put me in the writer's room. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I like John's theory that there's so much that we don't know that was going on behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. So Ernie Hudson's character could have been there all along. We just never met him, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's in charge of the program. He steps out. He was Al's boss even or something. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say is, you know, to your point, John, I really was hoping that the latest back, uh, Bill and Ted rather, which I loved, Face the Music, I loved Mm -hmm. it. Yep. I really, the way they were teasing certain elements of it and just knowing technologically we were at and the fact that they had Alex Winter's character, uh, Bill, in that Walmart commercial where they de-aged him or an actor that looked like him, mm-hmm. I thought for sure we were going to do that, where we saw them revisiting time moments from mm-hmm. the earlier films. see some younger characters in that old scene. Yeah. yeah. There's just something, there's something, uh, we'll get on a time travel tangent. Yeah, I know you and I could go, <laughs> but I love when the technology, when it's done well, when there's one episode or one scene they never plan to come back to again. Mm-hmm. And then in a later episode or series, I think of trials and tribulations in deep space nine. Sorry, I'm back to star Trek when they went to the trouble with tribbles episode <laughs> mm, with the deep space nine right. crew. Yes. But it was never planned yes. to do. And then mm-hmm. they interweave modern air characters into old stuff. And it's just, it's amazing to yeah. do that with quantum leap. I'm getting chills. It'd be yeah. awesome. It'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Ernie Hudson regarding the show said that this is quote, a really important show in the, in the sense that it sort of opened the idea of not just time travel, but how we're connected in that oneness. I can be in your world and experience what you're going through and just how the world comes together in a really special way, end quote. Yeah, you know, it hadn't occurred to me that in some sense, this show is really about empathy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is, literally. If only we had this technology. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> if only. <laughs> the new show arrives on NBC this fall after the season 22 opener of The Voice. Uh, among the executive producers, which they've got new producers and new showrunners, of course, so get some young blood in there. But the original uh, producer, Don, uh, creator, Don Belisario, and the OG voice of Ziggy, Deborah Platt, who I think is married to Don Belisario, are both going to be mm. back helping... Uh, create this show cool hey another 1980s news mm-hmm. according to guitar world james hetfield gets emotional on stage you know this is one of those stories mm-hmm. where I, I think a lot of folks need to know this <laughs> what are you laughing at why is john giggling talk about empathy well, uh, john's I'm, just laughing i no no i am that was not a mocking laugh i'm mm-hmm. thinking about the video that i saw related to this article and i'm chuckling oh, oh. related to or was it the video of him in this moment that was how it was related <laughs> I think about, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that what joke folks say when, you know, when they're getting emotional, I'm not crying, you're crying, which is from some Mm -hmm. film or something. I can't remember. Yeah. 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 So John would be like, Mm -hmm. I'm not laughing. You're crying. No, I'm wait. I'm not crying. I'm laughing. I don't know. There's some version of that. Shop after just my defense mechanism. Yeah, I'm That's crying at your laughing. Or laughing at your crying. Well, the yeah. encouraging thing about this is that, you know, as a, as a lesson to everybody, that everybody sort of needs to hear, regardless of how successful you are, you know, running your own podcast empire, that there's folks like uh, James Hetfield, who, very successful musician, top of the, you know, his game guitarist, regarded by many folks in his industry as one of the most, one of the best, mm-hmm. quote, pluckers. <laughs> um, could still be nervous about performing. So, isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so recently, he admitted that he was feeling quote a little insecure about playing before uh, before performing in Belo Horizonte. I'm gonna say I don't speak uh, Portuguese. This is in Brazil. I know. Uh, <laughs> on Thursday night, uh, speaking to the sixty thousand strong crowd after finishing and justice for all. Oh, sorry, the injustice for all classic one. Hetfield revealed that he felt, quote, like an old guy, end quote, and that he, quote, can't play anymore, end quote, adding that it was all, quote, bullshit that I tell myself in my head, end quote. Mm. He also added that that was a lot of quotes, end quote. <laughs> uh, but with the help of his bandmates, including uh, Kirk Cameron and Lars Ulrich, he overcame his insecurities and took this stage. He said, quote, I talked to these guys and they helped me, simple as that. They gave me a hug and said, hey, if you're struggling on stage, we've got your back. And even as I say that, I get emotional thinking about that mm. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. After he's mentioned this on stage, he got emotional then telling this story and his bandmates, you know, left their posts there on stage and came over to him and gave him a group hug. Oh God, again, mm-hmm. this is so touching. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder all along in his career, his yeah. musical career, mm-hmm. has he had these voices, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating feelings mm-hmm. of insecurity yeah. or is that something new? Because saying, hey, I'm an old guy or an old man, certainly things change, okay, right. as we get older and maybe we can't do things quite the same way as we did mm-hmm. before. Right. So is, is that old or True. is that new? I don't know. No, it seems like he's been struggling with this sort of thing, you know, for mm-hmm. a long time. Now, we also know he's mm-hmm. been struggling with alcoholism and addiction before in his life. Mm-hmm. But also just in 2019, he had said he had told, uh, let's see, some organization that I wrote down here, Apple Music's Zane Lowe. That is, Mm -hmm. but that for years he's been feeling the pressure to front the band, Hmm. um, saying, quote, there was such an expectation already on myself to not let the team down and to be the best possible. But then you add 60,000 people out there. You need to be what they need you to be because that's what we've, (laughs) you've evolved to be. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of Oz, Hetfield said, you know, referring to, uh, 
the book in the movie. Mm-hmm. Quote, like mm-hmm. the man behind the curtain, pay no attention, but this guy behind the curtain is just dying and struggling and freaking out and not knowing who he is, end quote. Phew. So yeah, that was even just, you know, that was three years ago when he said that. So yeah. Sure. John, do you get nervous uh, doing your podcast at all? Uh, this one, yes. Not my other oh, okay. one, no, but... <laughs> I think it's, it's entirely natural. I mean, we see people that are in these very public eye and they Mm -hmm. are, Mm -hmm. we think of them as larger than life and they're, Mm -hmm. they're above, you know, frailty and like Mm -hmm. this guy especially is a, you know, a rock superstar. I mean, that guy doesn't have insecurity, certainly, but how could he ultimately, (laughs) yeah, ultimately you live in this little bubble. Uh, I mean, I don't feel bad for the guy. He's not having trouble putting food on the table or anything, but from an emotional standpoint, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. live in this kind of insulated bubble and I think for many people, you see breakdowns of very wealthy, very famous people mm-hmm. because they live in that bubble and they're insulated mm-hmm. from it and the real world intrudes upon it. And I think it can hit them harder because they don't deal with it much of, as, mm-hmm. as much adversity on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. Sure. So they're, yeah, they're not having the same, <laughs> the same bumps in the road. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, their smaller yeah. bumps might maybe feel bigger because right. they're not had to deal with as many possibly. Sure. Yeah. And later in their, sure. You know, one of the things yeah. that I think that, you know, I've appreciated talking to the folks that we have that we have admired mm-hmm. during our youth, different, you know, performers mm-hmm. is seeing how, look, this isn't a surprise, but again, maybe this needs to be said, you're just like us. Yeah. We'll happen to have a right. job doing music <laughs> or acting or whatever. Mm-hmm, but in, mm-hmm. and you know, no amount of amount of money or fame, and a lot of these folks are famous but not rich. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you right. can be rich and not mm-hmm. famous, but no amount of that can you know can still uh, account for emotions, you know, and psychological mm-hmm. challenges right. and those other things. They're it real. doesn't make you immune. Right. Yeah. All right, hey, in other 1980s news, per the Guardian, RoboCop was like the American Jesus. <laughs> I just want to end it there and see what kind of emails we get. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, everybody. Good yeah. night. Hey, reflecting on the iconic film, which celebrates its 35th anniversary this year, uh, Paul Verhoeven revealed a number of things about the picture, including... Uh, these these are these are some of the highlights from his uh, what he told the Guardian. Uh, Verhoeven said that he was helped tremendously by screenwriter Ed Newmeyer, who helped keep him from doing quote stupid stuff end quote. <laughs> For example, the director thought that Nancy yep. Allen, who played RoboCop's uh, sidekick, you know, or sidekick, please please partner, partner? please yeah please counterpart, right. Wow. <laughs> right. Uh, that they he she should have had a secret affair with uh, Murphy. Hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Verhoeven relented saying quote, first of all they're partners <laughs> yeah. I mean as even if there's no robo in the cop you yeah. don't you know that, that's a line you don't cross with a partner because mm-hmm. you have each other's back and then you get weird emotions into it but then uh-huh. if you have a robot partner oh wow well. then, then he has robo parts that may or may not be present so you have even more issues yeah that sounds like a bigger no oh, yeah. yeah wait what a bigger what did you say bigger no I did I heard bigger oh, no. and I didn't okay uh. You're like, that sounds like a bigger, and I got, I was talking over you. I'm sorry. Thank you for your cooperation, cat. <laughs> Thinking how his thigh opens up and he puts his gun in there. I know. That's right. Oh, right. well, hey. So what's in the other, what's in the other mm-hmm. leg, you think? There's no gun. Oh, <laughs> hey. So John, you're anticipating what happened here because Verhoeven said, uh, relented mm-hmm. to this, you know, to Ed Neumeyer saying, quote, it was very Dutch of me that he wanted to do this. <laughs> but when they experimented with it, it felt so un-American. Um, Verhoeven mm-hmm. added that, and quote, if you look at RoboCop's costume, there's not much in terms of genitals anyway. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so they've got to be Poor somewhere. guy. <laughs> but he does do that well. move with his fist where he, he has like that thing sticks out and then he punches the, you know, like Jesus. <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, I see the, I see the parallel now. It all makes sense. 
Full circle. End of story. Well you done. Broke What's Will. You broke Will. Pardon him, Bible. Jesus. Was Jesus was like Wolverine? Oh my God. But regarding the costume, Verhoeven also said we realized we needed to have somebody slim so we could build a really powerful robo suit. Of course, mm-hmm. acting was important, but I can't deny Peter Weller's chin was one of the main reasons he got the part. It's a good chin. <laughs> chin. Think about all those actors that have been working on the wrong skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should be chewing more. That's what they should be doing. <laughs> yeah. You ever see those <laughs> bite things? that chin. Yeah, it's supposedly <laughs> your right. jaw sign. How do you hope to ever be a Jesus RoboCop if you don't work on the chin? Right. It's all about the jaw. Chin line. up, baby. And a RoboCop, ah. regarding Robo- RoboCop as a messiah, uh, he said, quote, the scene where Peter's character is executed is extremely violent, like a crucifixion. And what happens after is kind of a resurrection. I started to look at the movie in those terms, and I'm not Christian. It was one of the reasons, and I didn't catch this in the film until, you know, then he said this and I had to go look at the mm. ending again. It was one of the reasons mm. I have RoboCop walking over water when he kills oh Clarence Boddicker, the bad guy at the end. I felt like yeah, he was the American. <laughs> I felt like he was the American <laughs> Jesus. Whereas Boddicker is evil personified. Mm-hmm. You mean stepping in puddles? Okay, walking yeah. on water. Yeah, what's right. this walking on water thing? So, Can you describe to me? The ending scene where he kills the bad guys, like at this, uh, you know, derelict or abandoned like factory or some kind of plant. Mm-hmm. And always like that. This mm-hmm. sort of, uh, this hill slopes down, you know, alongside this factory or whatever. There's like a, in sort of a gully and it's mm-hmm. filled with water. It's probably, I don't know, an inch or two inches of water. Uh, oh. And the, their <laughs> their fight takes place down there, and so in and the I, water. I think it gets deeper actually towards Boddicker because I think Boddicker is like kind of waist deep, walking through it hmm. or knee deep mm-hmm. maybe, and RoboCop just you know sauntering right across the water. So across maybe it's the water. Yeah, well, it's only an inch deep, so he's you know he's, okay. he's standing he's on the ground. He's not floating on top of it. He's yeah. not floating. Okay, good. No. No. Right, no. he's, he's in the shallow end of the walking on water, so he's okay. standing on the bottom. Right. I know. I guess he's trying to suggest the implication is that he's. I didn't catch yes. any of that. <laughs> I didn't either. I mean, not when you were how old? He's the filmmaker, so he can say what he thought, but uh, I I don't see that in it when I watch it. But yeah, mm-hmm. okay, Paul. Mm-hmm. That's what you say. Well, now that I watched that scene, keeping this in mind, and I was, you know, uh, I think I was fresh out of Catholic school when I saw this film in the movie theater. There's so Mm -hmm. many other sort of little things. I think, oh, yeah, he's just going for it. You know, the sort of imagery. (laughs) So he leaned into it. I mean, part of it is after, you know, he has RoboCop down, Boddicker has him down, he's pinned down. He takes a spear and stabs RoboCop. Right. That's right. Mm. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's probably rosary beads in the other leg when it opens up. Our Father, who art in heaven, <laughs> thank you for your cooperation. That's better for the than the other. Better than the other option. What was the other option, Cat? <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I do, but I'm not going. Oh, you there. do? Oh, none of you guys are going to tell me, huh? It's sticking with the email. There was a suggestion of what might have been in the other leg. Uh, it was earlier in the conversation. Once again, I only caught part of what Cat said. It's sticking in what? Uh. <laughs> she said something was sticking in somewhere. Didn't you? I said it's sticking with the email. Oh, sticking with the email. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kat. I keep talking over here or something. All right. Like usual. Hey, that. <laughs> See? I stepped in it again. <laughs> All right. Hey, look, just for that reason, we should get out of this. That was 1980s news. <laughs> it's the Cooper and Anthony show. Please welcome John Oates to the show. Hi, John. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what? This is way funnier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> We're talking with Brendan Fraser. And how do you work with Pauly Shore and Helen Mirren in one career? <laughs> you get really lucky. What did you learn from Pauly Shore? Don't do that. <laughs> I was going to bring you a bottle of blonde and a bottle of brown hair dye. And I have both. <laughs> Here's exactly what I pick both. one. My theory is that the blonde is the old you growing out. Right. right. And the, the and the natural people. color is like the Who natural right you. Now. Yeah, exactly. And exactly what I've been as a kid. I've always been both. I would wear my brown hair when I was Miley, and I would wear my blonde wig when I was Hannah Montana, so I've always had both. Brady Bunch star Marie McCormick traded sex for drugs. Seriously? Yeah, I did. I mean, I knew some dealers, and they had the coke, and I wanted it, and I would have sex for it. We believe fake news is just more entertaining. It's the Cooper and Anthony Show. All right, hey, if you like the show... Uh, and you probably do. You know why? Because what you don't know is I cut out a lot of things that uh, where I was sounding like really aggressive or a cat and I were sort of, you know, being antagonizing towards one another. And <laughs> things that made John feel uncomfortable. never happened before, ever. Right. <laughs> I, I got to cut that out now too, cat. <laughs> Make it so much work for me. Hey, but what like, I love. I hate, you know? it. I hate it when mommy and daddy fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I love is lately in the you, you say, I'm going to cut all this out, yeah. but then it, that's, that's in and there. And it all <laughs> makes the show. Well, I'm mean it this time. Mm. This time I'm going to listen to it while I edit. You're going to listen? Yeah. Well, I, while I'm going to edit it while now. Oh, now you're going to edit it. That's yes. I only usually tell you guys I'm editing. <laughs> I'm trying to show up. He's just closing his eyes. Okay. Follow, that's right. subscribe, rate, review, all those free things. They're all free. They seriously help mm-hmm. do the show. Uh, you know, help uh, rather uh, help promote the show. All right, hey, like we, mm-hmm. like we talked about, we're going to talk about uh, musical collaborations from the 1980s, and we're going to include mm-hmm. your comments and feedback throughout and uh, at the end. I know there's some that uh, some folks that uh, shouted out, and we didn't wind up including their songs in the list, but they certainly appreci- uh, should be acknowledged as well. Now, what we'll say one thing, when we asked on Facebook for music collaborations, or even as we chatted about this, we didn't set any parameters. So some of the responses we got, I think some of the songs we got, there's a different range of how much mm-hmm. uh, participation there was mm-hmm. from the parties involved, you know? We can talk about mm-hmm. that as we go along. I'm glad we're going to talk about collaboration. Maybe that'll change the tone here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I was going to say no particular order, but now <laughs> I just edited out the part where it's been a lot of time putting them in an order. It's a lie. Particu- in particular order. In a very special order that you should take issue with. Hey, first up here is a, is a, a song that uh, a number of folks recommended that we talk about as, as far as our musical collaborations go, including Elmore, Crystal Scott, and Warren Pick who all uh, said that they love Islands in the Stream. Mm -hmm. Collaboration by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. Of course, that song was released in 1983. This is one of those things where, you know, I've mentioned it before, is like in in the 1980s somehow, I really want to do an episode on this. We got to find the right guest to talk to us, I think is. Everybody Uh was a fan of country music. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bizarre. And my area of the country, it was especially bizarre. Well, I think The Gambler didn't hurt. I think Mm -hmm. uh, Smoking the Bandit didn't hurt. I think Any Which Way But Loose didn't hurt with Mel Tillis in it. I think all those that uh, we got to see country music as not just twang, twang, you know, where's my dog at kind of music. It was, (laughs) it was as country music was starting to get a little poppy. It wasn't just, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of country ballads anymore. And Mm -hmm. people were picking up on that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, surprising to me was that at the time that this song was recorded, Ken, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton were, of course, both superstars in their own right in the, in the country music realm. Like I mentioned, this was sort of that part of that the movement that John refers to that uh, started making country more mainstream 
Mm-hmm. But what's surprising to me is they weren't friends at the time. They certainly knew each other. They were acquaintances. But this song, Islands in the Stream, was the beginning of their friendship. It turns out after the 1970s huh. were over and uh, disco was sort of coming to an end and evolving to something else in the 1980s, the Gibb mm-hmm. brothers, I'm talking about Barry, Robin, and Maurice, of the mm-hmm. Bee Gees were writing mm-hmm. and producing songs for other artists. And by the way, I love the Bee Gees. They are fantastic singers, composers mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. themselves, for others, really clever guys. Uh, but Islands in the Stream, which was named after an Ernest uh, Hemingway novel, was originally written by the Bee Gees for Marvin Gaye, of all people. Huh. Is that right? And Barry huh. Gibb was was producing the album Eyes That See in the Dark for, for Rogers. And he offered the song to Rogers at the time, which is credited to all three Gibb brothers for, for writing it. But after, quote, singing it for days, uh, end quote, Rogers said that he wasn't a big fan of the future award-winning hit. <laughs> Rogers took it up with Gibb uh, saying that, uh, and Gibb responded saying, hey, just needs a f- few final touches. But uh, Rogers told People Magazine in 2017 that, quote, I finally said to said Barry, I don't even like this song anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> and told him, you know what we need? We need Dolly Parton. Mm. Well, it turns out Rogers had a recording studio at the time, and she was downstairs. Uh, and so uh, Rogers' manager offered to run down and grab her. And he did. Oh. And uh, after pitching her on the idea of the song, she agreed to do it. And of course, the rest. And she smacked him, prompting him for grabbing her. <laughs> what do you want? Yes, let go. <laughs> uh, and following its release, this lo- the love song knocked Bonnie Tyler's total eclipse of the heart out of the mm-hmm. number one spot on the all genre of Billboard Hot 100. So now we've got a country music song kicking out, uh, I don't know what you'd say, I guess a rock ballad. Yeah, um, yeah. The song also topped the adult contemporary and country charts as well. It's a great blending of those two voices. I mean, because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Rod- Rogers has that kind of just a smooth kind of gravelly voice and mm-hmm. Dolly has a really lilting kind of that, that little twang in it mm-hmm. voice and those together. They did a lot more, uh, I say a lot, several more yeah. uh, mm-hmm. collaborations together after that because it was so good together. They did a whole album, I think, of of a duets. Pretty Did sure. They? Yeah, I believe that's right. I think, yeah. I think my parents had it, in fact, <laughs> now that I think about <laughs> yeah. it. No, I think that's right. Yeah they, yeah. They, they, they worked together so much that folks speculated that they had to have more than just a professional relationship, but they never <laughs> got intimate. And in fact, in 2020, they, thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> <laughs> that's RoboCop walking. <laughs> I just realized that a context that's, but they were asked, you know, many times about this. And in 2020, Rogers told, uh, Rogers and uh, Parton uh, talked to People Magazine about this. And they said regarding their, why their relationship never advanced, he said, quote, mm-hmm. we may have been tempted, but we didn't want to ruin a good friendship. End quote. Mm-hmm. And Parton added, quote, it usually does. Yes. Well, it changed the dynamic, certainly. And what they mm-hmm. had, again, it was, it was so, it was on point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it was to their credit that they didn't want to damage that. They shouldn't. Right on. I've yeah. got that one on my music library. When it comes up on shuffle, I don't skip it, you know, in the car or wherever. Don't skip it. And I sing it with my wife and I try to do oh. the harmonies. Now, sometimes oh. that requires I sing Dolly's part to do the harmonies. <laughs> my wife's more comfortable just part? doing yeah. the main sort of, you know, melody. <laughs> so she sings along with you? You guys do it. Oh, do yeah. That? Oh, yeah. Aww. I love doing that. Now, there's some so songs sweet. where like I, I like to sing along with people and they don't know the words. I'm like, all right, you got to hear, get the phone out. Look up the lyrics while I'm driving. <laughs> this is the part you're doing. And you need to be here. This is where you need to be. <laughs> I'm here. You're here. Get it? <laughs> then I pull over and we switch seats. Wow. Not allowed mm. to hum along. <laughs> Didn't conduct. Before you get out of this Kenny Rogers, I just have yeah. to name drop that I'm Ooh. Facebook friends what? with Wait, Kenny's what? son, Justin, because he's a big Gen X grown up fan. Are you kidding? Really? Fact. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh. This guy's giving me shit last <laughs> week about name dropping. Look at this. <laughs> well, I'm trying to catch up. That's all. I'm way behind. To the extent that Justin's listening to this because he's, you know, we get some spillover. What do they call mm -hmm. that in the dating thing? Some, uh, Shrapnel? Not shrapnel. Shrapnel. You're dating somebody. <laughs> Friendly fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> That's that last thing sounded like when you use the witcher wipers to clean the window. <laughs> like a drill. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Anyway, welcome, Justin. We, we, we're big fans of you. Doing All right, whatever. He's not listening. Nobody is. All right, listen. Look, number the second song we're going to talk <laughs> about is it, Valentina Cruz. Uh, Patty Leith, I'm going to say. Leith or Leith. And Dan Calisabetti said, hey, under pressure, that collaboration between Queen and David Bowie released in 1981. Mm -hmm. I'm glad mm -hmm. they mentioned it. Yeah. Are you a fan of uh, that song? I am now. Okay. But I used to not be. Oh, so what was the change for you? Well, the video was mm -hmm. very depressing and terrifying to me as a mm -hmm. 10-year-old. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm. Things exploding and there's clips of horror movies. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Oh, really? man. It was really, and stressful things happening. Oh, you have to go and watch I it. I thought they were just in the studio recording was the video. No. Hmm. No, the, actually. Oh, wait. Oh, what am I thinking of? No, this is it. Under no. pressure. Yeah. Okay. They don't appear in this video because mm. they were busy touring at the time. Okay. I just want to make sure I have my really? songs right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they were both busy on tour, and so the video is just all these clips of um, there's Nosferatu is in there, oh. and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. That's there's, random. Um, yeah, and there, there's scenes of buildings being exploded. Yeah. Apparently, there's also explosions. Um, that or it shows explosions from the IRA. <laughs> um, oh, really? Right, which weren't allowed to be shown. Is that, um, I mean, I don't know if I've ever listened to the lyrics of Under Pressure. Is is that is that up with the theme? Is it about <laughs> like you, death yeah. and destruction and war? It certainly, it talks about pressure, right? Yeah. And so it's showing all of these pressure situations. And mm. I, as a child, I actively disliked the song because of the, uh, the feeling mm -hmm. I got from the video. The imagery really that you like associated yes. with it. Yeah. Yep. The MTV put yeah. in your brain, so you hear the song exactly. and you, hear, you see the video. <laughs> it's the imagery that it puts in your head. Like MTV <laughs> did that to us. Like I, I can't hear Take On Me From Aha without seeing the scribbles. <laughs> yeah. Like sure. I can only see that in your head. Yeah. So I can imagine that death and destruction. Poor little, Absolutely. a young cat was traumatized by that. That's too <laughs> bad. But over time, I cannot tell you when, hmm. I became okay with this song and now I love it. But now I can just appreciate the song and mm. I don't mm -hmm. really think about the video. Yeah. Yeah. You became desensitized to the violence in modern. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Actually, maybe. <laughs> She's in, yeah. What is that? Inured? Inured to the mm. violence? Yeah, that's a good word. But the song itself, even the lyrics is kind of a bummer. And, and yes, it's yes. amazing yeah. that this song is a hit because, mm -hmm. you know, Queen is a very different sound than David Bowie. And even mm -hmm. at, and at this time when they collaborated, you know, Queen had sort of established itself as this, you know, sort of uh, hard rock sound with Brian May's, you know, just mm -hmm. guitars tearing through every song and this kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, crowd, just this sort of crowd pleasing, I figure the anthems mm -hmm. almost, you know? Yes, yes. And David Boeing yep. being, you know, Ziggy Stardust earlier in the 70s. And by the end of the 70s, he what was at the uh, Berlin Trilogy kind of confounded fans, I think, a lot of mm -hmm. people liked it if you were really niche, but other people are like, what is this? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
Brian May regarding it admitted to Mojo Magazine in 2008 that the collaboration didn't make for the easiest session, saying, quote, it was hard because you had four <laughs> precocious boys and David. <laughs> yes. It was precocious <laughs> yep. enough for all of us, end quote. Well, but the song, it was written, obviously, by um, Queen. It's attributed to Queen and David Bowie equally. Mm -hmm. uh, it was released October 1981. So, yeah, I was 10 years old. <laughs> uh, it hit number 29 in the U.S., <laughs> number one in the U.K., and mm -hmm. Queen and Bowie were in the same recording studios in Switzerland at the time that they, they bumped into each other and they decided to make a song together. So mm. that's how like this- More serendipity, out. like Dolly right. being downstairs, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, kind of, it's by chance. I mean, who, eventually maybe they would have wanted to mm -hmm. collaborate anyway, yeah. but they, they just happened to be in Switzerland <laughs> at the same time. Hmm. Regarding the so, tone of it, to John's question about what it, what it's about, it really there is right. this kind of push and pull between these two voices. Where David Bowie's saying a bunch of depressing things. Yes, you know it's the yes. terror of watching your world, watching your good friends screaming, "Get me out!" Yeah, let and me then Freddie Mercury coming in with something optimistic, but tomorrow takes me higher. And then David mm -hmm. Bowie would be like, no, coming back to answer that was no, <laughs> shit sucks. No, everything is terrible. Yes, I swear. I it, promise you. That's here. kind of the thing. There's a lot of you know, tension. You, a lot of tension. You said, Will, that when Islands in the Stream came up, you never skipped it. Yeah. And when Under Pressure comes up, I will sometimes not skip it. Yeah. But what I will always do yeah. is I will then say, Hey Alexa, now play Ice Ice Baby. Because it reminds me of how much I fun that song <laughs> yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that? Well, that's fair. Well, the baseline uh, was voted uh, best baseline. Who said Stylus Magazine in 2005 yeah. named the baseline as the best in popular music history? Wow. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> that's. Uh, I'm on board. Yeah. That's pretty I, good. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah. In the, in the baseline cool. itself, actually. So the song was originally a song, a Queen song called "Feel Like." That they hadn't yes. done with anything with. Yes. But what "Feel Like" didn't have was the baseline. So when they, as they were creating. Mm -hmm. Under pressure, the baseline mm -hmm. was, you know, something that John Deacon came up with during that development. And it's been mm. named as, you know, their best song for both of them or, you know, among the top of. That's insane. Now that's insane. I, I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I can name <laughs> the best Dustin, song. Yeah. Some people, yeah. yeah, some people are believing this. I'm not saying I, I necessarily no. think that, but I like it now. Oh, so we've come full yeah. circle. We're all the way back and now Cat likes it. Okay, nice. Right you know, the success <laughs> of the song though, got David Bowie out of this hole. You know, so he sort of dug himself in this sort of hole as mm. far as uh, popularity, at least commercial success with this Berlin yeah, trilogy. Yeah. But Under Pressure paved his way to being creating more. And maybe he learned a lesson from that process even of creating this song. Mm -hmm. uh, that ultimately he starts creating more accessible commercial poppy stuff again in the 80s, ultimately culminating at least early in the 80s in 1983's uh, album Must Dance. Bowie! All right, next song, Dancing in the Streets. Now, this is a song that was suggested to us by uh, Jan Holmes, Dan Potts, and John Barton. Of course, it's a collaboration between Mick Jagger and David Bowie, released in 1985. It was uh, written by Marvin Gaye mm -hmm. and William Mickey... And some that? other guys. Marvin Gaye and some other guys. No, and a woman, Ivy <laughs> Joe Hunter. people who aren't Marvin Gaye. I, I want to include all of them. <laughs> others, okay. And it was, of course, many people probably know this. It was originally performed by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas in mm -hmm. 1964, this song. And it was very popular back then. Sure. Hitting number two on the Billboard Hot 100. And it's been covered by numerous mm -hmm. bands and artists since then, mm -hmm. including twice in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It reached number seven here in the U.S. and it was number one over in the U.K. 
So um, I just want to point out, I thought this was interesting. I did not know this, but back in the 60s, this song became an anthem for the civil rights movement. Huh. And it was, yeah, Hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. And it was involved in some controversies because of that. Some radio stations wouldn't play it because, Hmm. uh, out of fear that um, it was, that the song was associating, uh, associated with riots and protests. Oh. So is it the dancing in the streets aspect that you're mm. out protesting and you're getting out in the streets and being active and kind of, is that, mm. is that the angle you think? Hmm. I didn't yes. know that. And it, it was, yeah. And it was adopted by, um, by some groups as, as an anthem. And so then it, it came out of mm. that, that it, it could incite people to, uh, hmm. uh-huh. to protest. And so um, some people weren't too fond of that. Yeah. <laughs> but the original intent of the song was far simpler. It was dancing in to the be a, street. a party song. Exactly. It was a party, right? It was yeah. a, like a party anthem thing. <laughs> it was a and it a protest song. And Martha Reeves <laughs> even said that. Somebody mm. questioned her like, you know, is, is this, uh, d- what, what's the political statement here? And she's like, mm. it's, it's to have fun. It's a party yeah. song. At this time in the 1980s, Mick Jagger wanted to have a solo career. Rolling Stones was doing well, mm-hmm. but Mick Jagger wanted to do something solo. And at Mm -hmm. this point now, we're post what we talked about just a moment ago. David Bowie's now had huge success with Let's Dance, an album which I believe he brought Nile Rodgers in to produce because he learned his lesson. Yes. Smart man. And so they both are sort of in this position of doing whatever they want. But Bob Geldof says, hey, I want you guys to do something for Live Aid. And the Mm -hmm. idea of them collaborating on something would like bring it to another level that like Kat's suggesting would get attention that would help raise money. The -hmm. first thing they thought they would do is do, uh, they wanted to perform together while in different countries, right? Live and mm-hmm. in 1985, we yeah. didn't have the technology. Our, our connection now, we couldn't really do it. Even now, it's iffy, right? They were going to be off by a second, and so they said to either of them, "You're going to have to mime and just sort of sing along with the track." And they're like, "Not doing neither." Nope. Wanted to do that. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. That's no. so they recorded the song instead, as Cap pointed out. I think it's interesting in their version how they make it more international. You know mm-hmm. how in the beginning they say Tokyo. Yeah. In Australia, in a different country. Or whatever. (laughs) In the house. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nothing makes it international like yelling the names of countries. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, so they go beyond. So, in the song, of course, there's all these cities, Mm -hmm. you know, being named. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but, but they make it bigger (laughs) than, than just the cities. The other cool thing about the song, like you're saying, Kat, is in addition to calling out the cities, the first line is calling out around the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which again, while performing to the world during this concert made sense. Yeah. Um, the idea was record the song and instead of performing together simultaneously while in different countries, they'll instead play the music video for it. So of course, yes. as a yeah. result, hours after they record the song, we get this music video, which I don't know if you guys are familiar. It is one yes. of the most cringe inducing music videos <laughs> of the 1980s. I disagree. Okay. Oh. I thought it was fun. I This is a video that did not turn me away from the song. In uh-huh. fact, it's, I think it's the, the main reason why I was tuned into it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like love it and record yeah. it. I don't think mm-hmm. I recorded this one, but I thought it was just a fun, silly video because both of these guys are, you know, kind of, kind of over the top and they're mm-hmm. a, couple, a couple of characters and- mm-hmm. And in the video, they're not even so much singing together as yelling at each other. Yes. It's, it's actually oh. really funny. It makes me laugh. The, direct, the director, David Mallett, just said, hey, improvise mm-hmm. and I'll film it. And mm-hmm. it looks like a, a two, go- two dads, like two middle-aged dads <laughs> dancing at a wedding. It does. And it the does. very end of the video zooms in on their asses. 
waggling in sync. In unison. Yeah. Perfect unison. I don't know how he did that. That must be why Cat likes it so much. It, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. The in, secret sauce. In season nine, episode 17 of The Family Guy, Peter Griffin oh, yeah. is homeschooling his kids about different mm -hmm. pop culture things. Mm -hmm. During the show, they play the entire music video. Really? Then they cut back to Peter and he says, that happened and we all let it happen. <laughs> That's how bad it is. It is awkward. Yeah, it is an awkward, awkward video. All right. Hey, the next song is uh, Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney collaborating with Stevie Wonder in 1982. This was, this was written by Paul McCartney. And, you know, we mm -hmm. featured this very song. Yeah. <laughs> we featured this oh. song on a recent episode of the Gen X Grown Up oh. Show. Oh. We talked about um, songs that were on the Billboard Hot 100 the mm -hmm. longest as number one song in 1982. Okay. Okay. Seven weeks, this thing was number one mm -hmm. on the charts. And yet- nice. I don't like it very much. Yeah. So the I metaphor is okay. All right. Go you're ahead. the one I knew Go somebody ahead. had to. The, the metaphor is well. so blunt yeah. and obvious, right? It's, it's about yeah. racial harmony or, using the yes. piano keys yes. as the metaphor, right? right? Yes. McCart mm -hmm. Allegedly McCartney says he conceived the idea for the song. He was watching. Uh, if you remember, there's a, a comedian, uh, UK comedian called Spike Milligan. Uh, okay. And he was on a TV show playing a sketch with a segregated piano that had the white keys and black keys apart from one another mm. to demonstrate you have to work together, right? And uh -huh. he saw that, and he then based on that he he penned the song mm -hmm. after he he had he had a bit of a row with his wife Linda, mm. and he's oh. like, in, in fact, he, he says in Mojo magazine in 2009, it was like, why can't we get it together like our piano can? Oh. And he remembered that sketch, and then he kind of. It launched into this. Mm -hmm. Wow. He, when he started recording huh. it, it wasn't going to be a, a duet at all, in okay. fact. Okay. All right. He, yeah. He, he got the idea to do it as a duet with Stevie Wonder, though. He did a demo. He sent it to Stevie, and then he agreed to record it, uh, and then ultimately mm -hmm. got released on, I think it was Tug of War, an 82 right. album. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. McCartney okay. put out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does. It's, but it's, the metaphor is just so... Yeah. There's no subtlety to it. It's like black and white keys. Get it? Black and white people. Yeah. Get it? It's it, there's it's just so <laughs> in, in your face. Well, as a kid, it, I appreciated that. <laughs> I, you uh, know, the melody like of the I, song is great. The metaphor <laughs> yeah, and the message yeah. of it is just it's a little too in your face for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even as a child? When you first heard it? As a child, I just I'm didn't assuming. like it. Oh. <laughs> just, just, because it's it's so ebony and I was like, whoa, easy. Mm. Just sing me a song. They're just, they're so soulful that I really just wanted to hear a pop song. And that's what I got oh. out of it. So. See, I love both of that. I love Paul McCartney and I love Stevie okay. Wonder. Yeah. And and we we loved like somebody and I, somebody sang with me. I don't remember who it was. Mm -hmm. We would sing along to this, <laughs> to this song. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, this is a big nostalgia one for me. Easy to sing along with. I'll give you that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Message, message wise and melody, much like a children's song in that sense, you know. <laughs> That's why I like it. <laughs> you know, John, you pointed out, even though it was number one for so long, it very quickly became the subject of ridicule. I mean, I, I, you can't, mm -hmm. you, you just were singing those lines and I can't help but remember that sketch on Saturday Night Live where you had Joe Piscopo playing Frank Sinatra trying to court a yep. younger crowd and singing a version with it with uh, Eddie Murphy as Stevie Wonder. He's like, <laughs> you are black and I am white. You're oh as blind God. as a bat and I have sight. Oh my gosh. I have to watch this. There's another great parody that, uh, I forget who did it, but it was Bob Rivers, a uh, radio comedian. He did one mm. uh, very timely in the 90s called PLOs and Israelis. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. ripe for parody. He allows oh, and wow. Israelis. Israelis. Okay. <laughs> right itself. Wow. I always thought it was curious with regard to this song. McCartney had written it a couple of years before he recorded it. And he said at the time that he wrote it, he thought that he may have missed the boat to make a commentary on racism because, you know, this is in the late 70s, early 80s, that racism had already been better. solved. Good news. Everything's still mm. terrible. <laughs> Speaking of Paul McCartney, uh, here's another collaboration. You know, there's a lot of some crossover in the ones we're talking about today. Like we talked about the David Bowie, he, he, mm-hmm. two, two songs that were influential mm-hmm. collaborations That's in right. the 1980s. Mm-hmm. We've got Say, 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 Paul McCartney mm-hmm. collaborating with Michael Jackson. Now, you know, John just <laughs> mentioned that uh, Tug of War, this song, Say, 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 was actually, even though it was released in 1983 as the lead single to his album, Pipes of Peace, the song yes. was recorded during production of McCartney's 1982 Tug of War album. Mm. And actually right. it was recorded even before The Girl Is Mine, the other pair's duet. What do you guys think of this song? I love this song. Yay! Yes. Better than Ebony and Ivory, for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Musically it is, and also, you know, yeah. uh, metaphorically or poetically it is too. It's not, mm-hmm. like John said, so- I would agree. Blunt. Yeah. It's got yeah. This got to number exactly. one in the US. Yeah. It was voted ninth best collaboration of all time in a Rolling Stone readers poll. I would need to see the rest of the list to yes. see if I agree with number nine. <laughs> I know, right? I want to see the rest of the list. <laughs> but uh, regarding how they came to collaborate, McCartney's talked about it a number of times over the years, including in his uh, two volume memoir of songs, The Lyrics. He said, mm-hmm. initially he thought the high pitched voice on the other end of the phone was someone else. Saying, quote, I thought it was a fangirl. And how did you get my number? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Quickly, Paul realized it was Michael Jackson who asked him, do you want to make some hits? And Paul, of course, said, yeah, let's do that. So uh, Jackson <laughs> flew out to uh, Paul's place and they spent some time getting to know each other before they started mm-hmm. uh, turn their minds to, to writing. But uh, Paul said, uh, quote, we were both quite excited to work together and the song came together quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, in the book, The Lyrics, he, uh, Paul said, quote, I let him lead a bit. And I think the sensibility of the song was Michael's, baptized in my tears, Mm-hmm. That's a line that I wouldn't have used, end quote. Mm-hmm. Now, famously, right, you guys are familiar with this story. It was during this time of them collaborating that Jackson had asked McCartney for business advice. Right. Yeah. I know and McCartney suggested about. a number yeah. of things, including getting into music publishing. And Jackson said, and McCartney thought he was joking, I'm going to get your songs, Paul. <laughs> but sure enough, uh, when, the, when the, the rights to the music catalog for Lennon and McCarthy came up for bid, uh, there was a, mm-hmm. I would say a bidding war, you know, but maybe it was no more of a war between a boot and an ant. Uh, McCartney reached out to Yoko Ono and said, hey, we should collaborate, we should co- coordinate our funds, you know, collaborate mm-hmm. in a different way yep. to be able to buy mm-hmm. these rights. And they thought we should, we need to come up with 20 million. Ono said, 10 will probably be fine. We'll split 10. Ultimately, uh-huh. Jackson got the rights for $50 million. He just had money laying around. He, he'd already... He had the elephant man skeleton he wanted. Yep. He had a monkey. Mm-hmm. He had a Ferris wheel. Yep. I mean, what else? You know, buy some music. Why not? Buy Why the Beatles. Not? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, McCartney, ultimately, who was sour about this for some time, ultimately, as time proceeded, he said that he, he got over it. And, and ultimately, at Jackson's death, McCartney described the singer as a, quote, massively talented boy man with a gentle soul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, man. Yeah, he's over it. You could tell he's completely over it. Oh, yeah. Calling yeah. him a boy man in, his, in the wake of his death. Oh. It's tragic death. He's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Hey, next up on the list, Walk This Way by mm. Aerosmith and Run DMC. This was recommended to us by Cindy McGorry, Cindy McGrory, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also Lucy Webb, who Lucy wrote, I never loved the song itself, but 
it's a huge for cultural impact. And we agree. And I, I, I would go song. so far as to say, I love the song too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aside from yeah. its cultural impact. Yeah. I love this yeah. song. Yeah. I had always heard and seemed to, based on the evidence, believe yeah. that this collaboration with, so Run DMC at that point was actually bigger than Aerosmith. Right. And this collaboration put Aerosmith back in front of a younger generation of mm-hmm. listeners and they had a resurgence because, whoa, mm-hmm. these guys are hanging out with Run DMC <laughs> and a younger audience didn't know, no, it's damn Aerosmith. You don't right. understand. But they had kind of, you know, kind of, they're just doing their thing and fading. And this, hmm. this is, uh, this song is, it just kicks when it comes on the stereo in the car, you know, you, my foot gets a little heavier <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's, it's a raucous kind of locker room story kind of kind of uh, ballad that ha- ballads the wrong term you know the story it tells mm-hmm. you know right, it's uh, right. talking about your first experience with a, a lady and what you were taught to do but <laughs> thank you for your cooperation <laughs> <laughs> I would never have thought Aerosmith and Run DMC could put out how would they styles blend but they mm-hmm. really did you know what, John, you just said um, something that made me think of the David Bowie Mick Jagger thing. It's like Aerosmith mm-hmm. was perhaps dug out of a hole as well. Like Will said about David mm-hmm. Bowie, yeah. you know, ha- having I, I a, don't think they were in a hole, but they weren't on the way up. That's for well, sure. Maybe not a hole, but <laughs> right, they, yeah. they had a, you know, they yeah. got a lift from, mm-hmm. from that association. So yep. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Aerosmith okay. had had six platinum hits in the 1970s, but by the time this time you're right, hip hop was on a, on a fast rise and Aerosmith mm-hmm. was on a downslide. They had dealt with uh, addiction and rehab and other issues that kept them from uh, maturing and growing and evolving after that point. It's um, kind of a hole. <laughs> with regard yeah. to coming in together though, um, <laughs> you, Run DMC was already intimately f- familiar with Aerosmith because it was one of those beats at the beginning of the song that hip hop artists and hip hop DJs would mm-hmm. use to and sample it for mm-hmm. their, yeah. And even before sampling, they would on two turntables at a party could just live play mm. two the same beat over and over again, shifting from one record to the other. Indefinitely while the <laughs> rapper in front of them with the microphone would, you know, actually freestyle on the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aerosmith wasn't as familiar with rap music when they were approached to do this collaboration. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a number of stories of how these two came together, and some of them are conflicting. But ultimately, Rick Rubin is, is credited as being the brainchild by merging these two in particular together. Although, with regard to rap music, according to this book, Walk This Way, uh, Run DMC, Aerosmith, and the song that changed American music forever by Jeff Edgers, Tyler was excited, saying, quote, I loved rap. I used to go looking for drugs on Ninth Avenue and would go over to Midtown and Downtown, and there would be guys on the corner selling cassettes of their music. Huh. Okay. (laughs) So that's your association with rap? Come on now. Okay. (laughs) Right? I will take a bit of umbrage. So are you asserting that sampling is a pure digital format? I would say that sampling existed even when it was turntables with a a DJ. In in a sense, yes. You're using the terms a little more loosely than than I would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, DJs would call that beat juggling maybe, you know, when you're using turntables instead of digital. So yeah, sampling tends to mean digital, but- but yeah, right. but yeah, the conceptually we're talking about the same thing and, and yeah, I'm sure right. you were, I'm sure mm-hmm. that's what you meant. Mm-hmm. Um, now with yeah. regard to Run DMC's comment, however, on using the lyrics, look, they were comfortable rapping over the beat, but now when Rick Rubin says, hey, we're going to use the actual lyrics from, from Walk mm-hmm. This Way. <laughs> well, now they took issue. Run called them, uh-huh. quote, hillbilly gibberish, country bumpkin bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, you know, in a literal shattering of the walls, uh, we saw this music video where these two, you know, forms of music yes. come, uh, mm-hmm. knock down the barrier between them and melt together yeah. quite nicely. And like John said, you know, if you're, if you're, 
gets the blood a pumping. And the foot heavy. <laughs> the foot heavy, <laughs> yeah. Well, I told you the under pressure always makes me want to then go listen to Ice Ice Baby. Yeah. And oddly, when I when oh. I hear Walk This Way, the, yeah. co- the collaboration version of Walk This Way, mm-hmm. I don't go listen to more Aerosmith. Yeah. I go my, listen to my Adidas and yeah, Run's House. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I want to hear more <laughs> on TMZ. Yeah. So that's that tells you mm. how they elevated Aerosmith's game because when mm-hmm. I hear it now, I want to hear more of them, not more right. Aerosmith. <laughs> or you're, if you're going to listen to Aerosmith, you're going to listen to post Walk This Way collaboration Aerosmith. That's right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because yep. Yep. this yep. song helped not only launch Run DMC in the mainstream, it pulled hip hop along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it-, it Modernized it, Aerosmith. Yeah. 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 And, and their album uh, that came out in 1987, Permanent Vacation, which is we've chock full of hits that could get you driving a little faster- Sold mm-hmm. 10 times as many copies as its uh, predecessor album. Wow. That's pretty huge. Next up, Roy Van, I'm going to say, Roy, I'm going to say uh, Erkelins. Roy Van Erkelins or Erkelins. And Mike Todd suggested Money for Nothing, mm-hmm. Dire Straits, and with Sting on it. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Todd actually mm-hmm. had questioned on Facebook whether this could count because of Sting's contribution maybe not being as, but like I said, at, at the outset, you know, there's various levels mm-hmm. of you know involvement mm-hmm. in the, the, the different parties yep. here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I totally count this. I can't, th- this song for me is, is about mm-hmm. them together. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh, not the same song without Sting. Uh, I didn't know this and only learning this from researching this to talk about this today was the song is semi-autobiographical mm-hmm. in that uh, Knopfler uh, actually wrote the song uh, after visiting an appliance store in New York mm-hmm. City. At the back of the mm-hmm. store, <laughs> there's a wall of television there that were all turned to MTV and uh-huh. Knopfler said that there was a male employee dressed in a baseball cap, work boots, and a checkered shirt mm-hmm. delivering boxes. Uh, and as they were standing there watching uh, MTV together, Knopfler remembers the man coming up with lines such as, quote, what are those, Hawaiian noises? <laughs> that ain't working. <laughs> and Knopfler then requested a pen right there and then and started writing wow. the lyrics while he was still in the store. The, yeah, the, the lines in yeah. the song remind me of my father. Like, this is how my father would <laughs> What is that? Hawaiian noises? What banging on the bongos like a chimpanzee or something? Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. Get in my face with this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. That's not music. <laughs> with regard to Sting's uh, co- contribution, he happened to, happened to be at the studio uh, when they were recording this and said, hey, it sounds, sounds great. And uh, Mark Knopfler says, hey, if you think it's so good, why don't you contribute to it? Oh. And so Sting's contribution, of course, was the line, I want my MTV, singing mm-hmm. it uh, in the melody, however, of don't stand so close to me. <laughs> so doing next to nothing. He had to do next wow. to nothing. <laughs> but he happened to be in the mm. studio. This is another case of happened to be oh, in yeah. the Serendipity Mark III, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With regard to the sound, Knopfler tried to model his guitar sound on ZZ Top guitarist Billy Gibbons' trademark sound. Mm. He actually reached out to Gibbons asking for help in replicating this, the tone. Uh, nice. And Gibbons, with regard to that, said, he, quote, didn't do a half bad job either, considering I never told him a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, the music video, right, at the time, c- just cutting edge, oh, yeah. mind blown. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and computer animation one. at the time, yeah. That's what mm-hmm. passed for commu- computer animation back then. But yep. uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now... I, I can only think of Weird Al's Beverly Hillbillies music video. Oh, which is a, yes. He did a full parody of the video as well right. with that same kind of uh, kind of Amiga animation graphics. Right. Oh, my gosh. The, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, we were talking about Live Aid earlier. Uh, when Dire Straits mm-hmm. performed Money for Nothing at Live Aid, mm-hmm. Sting joined them. Mm-hmm. I just watched that today, yeah. preparing for the recording. I'm, I'm like, kidding. I'm going to go see Very that. Nice. I'm like, oh, that Live Aid recording is great. Yeah. 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 It's fun. You know, we don't really have those kinds of things anymore, do we? These giant concerts to do a fundraiser with all the... Not for good causes anyway. 
Oh, what's the <laughs> inner causes? Is there an evil organization? <laughs> Get together for a bad cause. Like Miley Cyrus doesn't realize what she's raising money for until she's done. She's like, what did we do? Eradication of bald eagles. That doesn't sound like something I'm interested in. And you hear like, <laughs> wait, what, now? Thank you, thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> I was thinking of Coachella and how you were oh, saying, yeah, well, yeah. I wouldn't want to go hang well, out not, in the desert. Yeah. And, and they're not know. even fundraisers. That's just for commercial. No, Damn, no. Yeah. <laughs> Next time again, uh, here is recommended to us by Patty. Patty, I think I'm screwing up your last name again. Same time. Uh, same way. Leith or Leith? Patty Leith? Mm, Let us okay. know. Wrap Her Up by Elton John and George Michael. Woo-hoo. Song released in 1985. Mm-hmm. And this is an album where, you know, not only does George Michael uh, participate, but uh, Elton John called in some other special guests, including Sister Sledge and two members of Queen. Look, this is all so much. Look, this is so much what uh, <laughs> kismet serendipity. I don't know. So Ooh, much connections yeah, between all these yeah. different groups. Roger Taylor mm-hmm. and John Deacon of Queen also joined on some of the songs on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. George Michael, of course, shares uh, vocals singing uh, on this tune. This was released as the second single from Elton John's 1985 album, Ice on Fire. Yep. And it's credited to Elton John, but as Will mentioned already, George Michael provides backing vocals for uh, throughout the song. It made it to number 20 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and has a remarkably long list of songwriting uh songwriters receiving credit for it. There's like six people involved, six different people involved in writing Which is unusual because John, Ellen John's songs are usually two people. Ellen right. John, Bernie Taupin. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is unusual yeah. for him. This song is about famous women, um, notable, notable for being models, actresses, singers, or otherwise famous. And at the end of the song, mm-hmm. Elton John and George Michael go back and forth listing names like yep. Marilyn Monroe, Bridget Bardot, mm-hmm. Doris Day, Joan Collins. And it's almost in a battle sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to one up each other. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of you two, actually. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> we shout out <laughs> names of women we want to bed. No, this thing you've been doing with the. Uh, Not here. Uh, oh, like how John podcast. knows uh, Kenny Rogers' son. <laughs> exactly. Little, yeah. little one upsmanship. Yes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And I. I Talk to so and so, and yeah. <laughs> I'm Rock just going to randomly breaks. shout out the names of women that I had sex with now. <laughs> see what John could do. The, see this won't stops. take long. <laughs> I was going to say who stops first, but he beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, interestingly, yeah. one of the women named is Kiki D. Yeah. Who ah. is also providing backup mm-hmm. vocals yeah. for this song. And uh, we all remember her most likely yeah. from her duet with Elton John back in 1976 for their song, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, mm-hmm. which I loved that as well. But anyway, she very briefly appears in the video for this, <laughs> which is a Russell Mulcahy directed video. I'm going to point oh, yeah. out. Do you know why I'm mentioning that? I'm guessing he directed some Duran Duran videos. Like, <gasps> ding, 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 ding. Say, not, not, uh, Rio. Um, Wait, what's No, the I one? think he did that one too. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and that's not the one I was thinking sure. of, the other one. Uh, not Hungry Like the Wolf. Yes. Um, oh, it was? He did oh, yeah. Save a okay. Prayer. So everyone you think like it isn't, wolf. it is that yeah, one. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not the one I was thinking of. I know he did those, but that's not the one I was thinking of. Oh, certainly. Oh, See oh, my oh. trick to not be wrong no matter what? Okay. <laughs> 
clever. Uh, and he also okay. directed, uh, you know, the infamous uh, video killed the radio star, like the video that oh, did he do kicks off the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, in this one, so Kiki D shows up briefly and she inexplicably gets a pie in the face. <laughs> Elton John hits her with a pie. <laughs> I wonder if she knew about that. Yeah. What's up with that? And yeah. George Michael's name checks Doris Day. A, a person yeah. who he also references in a Wham song, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Oh. You make the sun shine bright like a Doris Day. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's really Layers cool. upon layers yeah. upon layers. All, all yeah, it is. It is all connected. Speaking of George Michael. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> there's a quote from him. Yeah. He says, it sounded like I had my willy in a, <laughs> in a garret. How do you say that? Garot? Garot. Yeah. Oh, Garot. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Let's not do that. Because of the falsetto he sings throughout the song. Mm-hmm. I guess he decided mm. after listening to the song, listening to himself sing, he had to say that. Mm. Yeah, he <laughs> does sing in a high pitched voice. Yeah. Yes, you know, Kat, you pointed out that this uh, song was uh, 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 number 20 in, yes. in America in 1985. And of course, mm-hmm. as a result of this, this plays a part in the long history of Elton John's streak. Do you know about this? Mm, no. Elton John Remind has me. had, had, or he had, it's ended now. He had okay. one song in the Hot 100 every year, oh, starting in 1970. Oh, yeah. And that's a streak that, that continued me. through 2001. Wow. He finally. Mm. Every wow. single year? Yeah. And this was one of them. Wow. And I don't know if you know, he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, there's like Elton John and just below that is Will. Like very close. Because <laughs> he's real. He's a human. El- he has mm-hmm. feelings mm-hmm. too. <laughs> Wait, me or both? Now, me, uh, both. Well, I'm not sure about you, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more songs. Let's get the hell out of here, right? <laughs> yes. Check one, check one. We're having too much fun though. This is, yeah. Uh, this is okay. fun. It's always fun. Um, hey, let's talk about uh, Somebody's Watching Me. Rockwell is collaboration yeah. with Michael Jackson. The one hit wonder for Rockwell. Right. We talked about this with a, an, a horror episode yeah, or, or, was or it a, you like know, a Halloween uh, song episode. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, I thought so. Mm-hmm. I think this as this is as much of a valid collaboration yeah. as Sting is, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. One, yes. uh, yeah. Right. It's, it's in, with Dire Straits. He's just, he's in it, but he's not super in it he just sings the chorus yeah uh-huh. right so but so isn't it hard Rockwell, to imagine the song it, without that right mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah of course it's yeah. it's it's everything right mm-hmm. so rockwell yeah. you probably know is his real name is kennedy gordy mm-hmm. yes the son yes. of barry gordy yep of motown fame yep. right yeah yeah yep. and so young kennedy <laughs> call him, is rockwell he wrote mm-hmm. the song put the demo together with the help of motown producer curtis nolan Mm-hmm. Barry Gordy didn't have a lot of faith in young Kennedy. Right. That's right. <laughs> in his yep. performing, his writing or anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when he heard somebody's watching me, he knew there was a hit potential there and agreed to release it. Now, <laughs> so, so he didn't have the idea of someone else singing necessarily this other chorus, but mm-hmm. uh, the Gordy mm-hmm. family and the Jackson family were close. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rockwell's mm-hmm. sister Hazel was married to Jermaine's oh, brother, yeah, right. so okay. they're, they're yep. and so there were yeah. people's houses, and they're all around. And so he they're was connected. over, and he so he, <laughs> he played the demo for Michael Jackson, mm. and this mm-hmm. is when he was Jackson was the height of his his fame, right? Mm-hmm. And because uh, Rockwell said, "I think I could get the song released if I could convince Michael to sing on it," so he mm. played this, he played it for him, 
And uh, the story is that Michael liked it and he would call mm-hmm. somebody down, you know, you know, Latoya, yep. come listen to this. He would call people in the house, come listen. <laughs> a lot of and Jacksons. then ultimately, yeah, a lot of Jacksons. <laughs> and ultimately <laughs> several times <laughs> they played it over and over. And mm-hmm. Michael said, who are you thinking of singing the chorus? And uh-huh. Rockwell jumped. He's like, how about you do it? <laughs> and by that point he was on the hook. And yep. yeah, so that somebody's watching me. It's it, yep. it's it makes the song. I mean, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. I can't look. Man, they grew up together, so obviously they had some. They, you know, they were like they were family. But still, mm-hmm. just to yep. imagine yep. a scenario to have the balls to turn to Michael Jackson and say, "How about you? Oh, how, how about you? Once you do it, I yeah. felt uncomfortable asking John to join the show. I mean. <laughs> It was, it was very awkward. No, it, it wasn't. A, yeah. I had, a psych, I had to do a psych-up thing in myself. Did you? Oh, you man. Got this. You it worked up the, it worked okay up the energy to He knows Justin Rogers, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he wasn't asking Michael Jackson. Yeah. He was asking right. Mike. Yeah. This cousin, guy he cousin knows. Mike. Was it like a Whenever cousin? Was it brother-in-law or whatever yeah, it is? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I didn't do all the, I didn't do the family tree, but they're related <laughs> or at least Why not? friendly. They're all together, right? And I expect to see the Centrello next. I want to see the family tree. Yeah, I want to see the list. grid. I want to see the chart, yeah, however they're yeah. related. But he was really yeah. hanging at the house. He's like, Mike, have you heard this song? And he's like, mm-hmm. you're not as famous as me. And like, I know. Why don't you be on my song? And then there we go. Now we have somebody's <laughs> watching me. You know, to your point about uh, him going by Rockwell, right? He didn't want to leverage his dad's famous name. You know, his father right. was, his father not only created Motown, I mean, he's running Motown at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so he continues to name Rockwell, use the name Rockwell when he's doing interviews, etc. And you'll notice in the song, He's adapted a somewhat fake British accent. Mm-hmm. And during mm-hmm. interviews, he will use that accent, he said, to again further distance <laughs> yes. himself from the possibility he got this through any sort of nepotism. Mm. And when yeah. people would ask where he was from, he, he in fact would tell them that he was from England. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody was believing it, but yeah. Okay. You're basic. <laughs> yeah, extra. <laughs> All right. Hey, finally, one last song here. And this one was uh, recommended to us by Dan Calisabetti. You got the look, Prince and Sheena Easton. Mm, song mm-hmm. came out in 1987. Uh, of course, it's by the uh, Prince of Pop himself. The, uh, yes. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, probably things to refer to Prince as, right? The Purple People Eater. Uh, that's not, that's not one of them. <laughs> <people eater. laughs> the Purple One, I think. Don't people say the mm-hmm. Purple One? It's, it's, it opens the second disc of Prince's double album, album Sign of the Times, and it became the album's runner-up ch- chart single. Uh, as I mentioned, or maybe I didn't mention, he sings a song with Sheena mm-hmm. Easton. She sings on, this, yes. on the song with him. If we recall- receives no credit. What's that? <laughs> receives no credit. Yeah, she didn't get any song. credit for it on the single release. No. Of course, he had also written the song for her Sugar Walls, which we talked about on, mm-hmm. uh, I think mm-hmm. we, The Filthy 15, it was one of the songs, right? Mm-hmm. My yes, sugar walls. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> I need a shower. Now, in this, <laughs> right? Not for the song, just Will sang it. Now Prince is- <laughs> Because I'm no. thinking about my sugar wall. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Oh. I'm not thinking. Prince? <laughs> now, if, you, if you're familiar with the song, and I actually do happen to like this song a lot, and I like a number of Prince songs, but I do like this one. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. But Prince's vocals were pitched up, mm, right? Yes. If you remember that, he's kind of high-pitched. Yes. He uses he a technique up. that he developed for an unreleased album called Camille. The album was recorded in 1986 under the pseudonym of that name. Hmm. It was the feminine, feminine alter ego uh, of Prince. Wow. Nearly indistinguishable from the masculine version of Prince. <laughs> uh, Prince planned to release this album without any acknowledgement of his actual identity, but the project mm-hmm. was scrapped uh, weeks before its planned release. It's unclear why he abandoned it, but 
contributing to that decision, maybe the fact that Warner Brothers was reluctant to release a Prince album that didn't say Prince on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, a few of the songs that were intended for the Camille album made its way onto Sign of the Times. This song, although he sings it as Camille or using the Camille technique, wasn't apparently written for the Camille album, but Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, of course it made it on this record itself. It reached number okay. two on the billboard hot 100 and remained in the top 10 for six weeks, peaking at number 11 also in the UK. I remember this song. Yeah. It didn't happen to be a top favorite of mine, but I, I liked it. Yeah. It's definitely a non-skipper. It's one when it comes on. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to cool, not yeah. skip this one on shuffle. No, yeah, no, no, cool. no reason to skip it. Yeah. So that's our, our 10 songs there, but folks let us know what you think we missed and how we meet, how we aired based on mm. some other folks suggestions which I want to mention some of those guys, some of those in just a moment here but there's some other mm -hmm. collaborations that we didn't mention of maybe a different type where you've got uh, uh for example um not, not for example where we had a musicians playing mm -hmm. an instrument on a song mm -hmm. in the 1980s and right not necessarily being aware of it I, there's four here at least that came to mind all right actually this one was suggested by a Andrew Gerber uh the song uh -huh. Veronica the Elvis Costello song which I love that song but the song mm -hmm. itself was actually co-written by Paul McCartney. And nice. now it occurs to me, we could have done this in a shared universe kind of game, you know, where all these songs oh. are connected by a you know, <gasps> different person. Oh, let's do that Ooh. sometime. Uh, but McCartney, That would have required us knowing all that information though, and I would never have done <laughs> it. Well, uh, Maybe I play a sound clip too, and a clue. Uh, but McCartney yeah. also plays the bass on the song. Oh, wow. Of course, hmm. on Beat It, we know Michael Jackson sang and wrote the song, but the guitar is played by Eddie Van Halen, mm -hmm. which we've talked about right. before. Right, I knew that one. Yep. yep. Maybe I could do the shared universe game. Maybe I could. I knew that one. Okay. And then Stevie Wonder <laughs> plays the harmonica on two hit songs from the 1980s. I guess that's why they call it the blues by Elton yes. John. Yes. Another okay. connection. Oh. Yep. Uh-huh. And I feel for you, Mashaka Khan. Okay. Oh, that's so Shaka cool. Khan. You know what Khan. I realized? A collaboration. Goose. I was going to do the important beat to me. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Okay. No, you go. All right. So let me think. It's a power station. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nailed yes. it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, there's another type of collaboration. Yeah, we've got these yeah. super groups or, you know. They formed a whole different band. That's probably why I didn't think of it. Yeah. I was thinking more of yeah. coming together and going Right, apart. it wasn't a one-off. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's more involved. And they went on tour. So we got some other suggestions from folks for some songs that we didn't uh, include, but we certainly uh, see shout out some of these. Oh, uh, so uh, Lita Wait, Ford and Ozzy Osbourne's collaboration right. got mentioned by a number of folks. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Kathy Burke mentioned that one. Mm -hmm. um, oh, let's see. Here's another one. Uh, Melinda. Oh, I didn't call this out before. Melinda Teplau Commons. Uh, she probably just used first names and be safer. Also mm. suggested Run DMC and Aerosmith. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Sheila recommends Aretha Franklin and George Michael. Oh, um, yeah. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Rob Farrell, Kenny and Sheena. I don't remember that one. Hmm. I don't know what that one was. Um, let's see. We also have, uh, let's see, Tim O'Connell says Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. Yeah. You know, I think oh, there's actually yeah. an interesting story of how that came to be, and I don't remember it offhand. Huh. Hmm. They may have been dating at the time. Okay. Uh, Stephanie says Barbara and Barry. Holly says Aerosmith and Run DMC. Lori Ann, mm -hmm. Run DMC and Aerosmith. All right, I missed those mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. And that one he had in the proper order, Run DMC first. Nice yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe Hayden or Hayden, Eric Clapton and Phil Collins. Oh, which reminds me of what? Phil Collins and uh, Easy Lover. Oh, 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 man. Wait, oh, wait, yes. wait, wait, wait. Yep. I'm going to get uh, it. Philip Bailey, Philip Bailey. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. 
I love that song. Oh, Mark Morris, Phil Collins and Philip Bailey. There you go. The two Phils. Jan Holmes, Yay. are we mentioning Jan? Yep. That's right. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't until the days of when you would see the name the artist on your radio that I realized Easy Lover was not just a Genesis song. I just thought it was. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Hey. Because I would just, oh, that's Phil Collins. That must be Genesis. Hear- and I found out later it was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You hear Phil Collins. Um, Brody also says Ozzy and Lita. John Jones, the worst is anything involving stock Aiken and uh Aiken and Waterman. Okay, so they're composers. Uh Rick Astley. They wrote Rick Astley's music, right? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, let's see what else we got. A few more here. This here. Uh, Brian uh Platt says, I've been hearing Easy Lover by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins on the radio lately, and it holds mm-hmm. up. I also love Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Stevie Nicks and Todd Petty. Okay, we talked about yes. that. Yes. Okay. Um, Mike Brad, we are the world by everyone and your mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You had to go to moms. Why, why moms already? Oh, our friend Dion over at Dinda Beat goes on says Don Henley and Stevie Nicks for the win. One of my favorite 80s songs oh. ever. Dan Schantz says the Jacksons and Mick Jagger. It puts me in a state of shock. Yes. <laughs> I oh, I like that one too. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's all we have. Let us know anything we missed. Like I mentioned, our show is brought to you every week in part by our supporters, including our early adopters, Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, Karen Flieger, and our secret of my success level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Craig Coletta, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. Any announcement to make, John? (laughs) Nope. That's it. (laughs) Just just happy to be here after all the stress that you had asking me, I guess. Don't. Did I put you <laughs> under pressure? Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> yeah. All right, stop. <laughs> Hammer time. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Oh, John, I thought you were going to. Uh, but you're right. Stop. Hammer time. That's another one. All right, whatever. All right, let's get out of here. Kat, did you want to say something? Well, I wanted to say something about collaboration. We invite you to collaborate with us by going to patreon.com slash 1980s now. And becoming a patron of this oh. podcast that we know you love. Very good. Now, do it again with the voice you were working on, because I don't oh, forget oops. a thing. <laughs> I forgot I told all you about. To take a moment. <laughs> she's working on a voice. You goofed around and stuff with John and myself. I could do a Miss Piggy or something. <laughs> you could do like a. Can I, I'm gonna request like a like a Wilma Flintstone meets Fran Drescher. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Everything, nope. every voice that Kat does is more like Camille. Camille? Prince's feminine alter ego. Oh! <laughs> oh. Whatever. I'm cutting it all out. The whole show's Everything getting fell cut out of out. my head. Everything's getting cut <laughs> the out. The whole show. Now, whole show. now let's record the real show. Camille, <laughs> Schlamazel, Pots and River Incorporated. <laughs> all right, hey guys. We will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye.